2: the no-whining world of January Jones.
1: Hello, I'm January Jones, and welcome to my podcast. Now for my listeners, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine what it would be like to grow up in a funeral home? Yes, you heard me. Would you like to learn more about what it is like to actually live in a funeral home with your family? Have you ever wondered what it would be like to get messages from dead people? Do you wish you could meet someone who has really and truly lived in a funeral home and has also received messages from dead people? You can answer yes or maybe to any of these questions I've asked, then you are in the right place. And I would like to welcome you to January Jones sharing success stories today. So now it's time to rest and relax. Go get some wine, get some cheese and crackers so you can join me in the no wine zone. Now let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. While growing up in a Midwestern funeral home where her dad was an undertaker, my guest not only learned about death, she also received clear messages from deceased loved ones about how to live life. These messages changed how she lives her life. This is also a book about grieving and why it is so important. My guest shares her fascinating experiences and insights in her newly published book, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. The morning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. She tells us a person's face in death mirrors their living and their dying. This book speaks of both. This book has received glowing reviews from a number of prominent authors and leaders in spirituality, including Deepak Chopra who says, life is not the opposite of death, it's birth and death that are opposites. Life is the continuing of birth and death eternally. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show today, Margot Lindmark. Hi, Margot. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, January. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, I've had... Uh, a fun time getting ready for you to be on the show. Uh, (laughs) I actually ordered your book. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) And I'm here to give a promotion for it that uh, was truly heartfelt because I'm here to tell people that once you start this book, you will not be able to put it down. And um, I'm halfway through it. And I'll tell you why I bought it, Margo, because I recently, we recently lost our beloved dog of 12 years. Oh. And, oh. Yeah, and I saw in the promos that you had a chapter about losing your dog. And so I was uh, curious to see what you would have to say about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. you haven't disappointed me. <laughs> Good. I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's be, before we begin our interview, we'll get to dog talk later as the show goes on. Okay. Um, tell us a little bit about your, I, I referred to the fact that you grew up in a funeral home. Could you tell us where that was and what your early childhood was like?
0: Yes, I didn't grow up in the funeral home. I grew up around it. Um, my father owned the funeral home and we went there after school every day and got ride, rides home and things like that. And we spent a lot of time in the funeral home, but we had a separate house. Uh-huh. But it was a really unusual experience, as you can imagine, growing up in a funeral home.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: growing up around a funeral home because it's it's not what most people do. It's
2: It's mm-hmm. unusual,
0: you know, to be around dead bodies and to be around people who are grieving and um, it was quite an
1: unusual experience. Well I was attracted to your story because I grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan and on the corner of our street there was a large funeral home and the funeral undertaker, he became my father's, one of his best friends. And so when they had the cold, cold winters, they would go inside the funeral home in the big reception room and practice their putting. <laughs> And then eventually, eventually they hired, they lived upstairs and eventually they hired me to babysit their three children. So I was in and out of their place all the time. And it was just a marvelous family. And it was such a normal existence for them that it doesn't seem strange to me at all. And I'm sure, I'm sure though some of your friends must have been a little surprised about your home, your father's occupation.
0: (laughs) Yes, of course, there's all the funeral home jokes. We we grew up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And um, same thing, you know, my father had a little putting thing <laughs> in his office, you know, so when he wasn't so busy, he'd practice his putting. Same thing. It's very funny. But um, yeah, I, I would say that our friends were a little queasy about coming into the funeral home or really... Um, um, I don't know, intrigued or something, you know, and, and my brothers used to play jokes on my girlfriends and scare them. And it was, you know, it was <laughs> funny, <laughs> but I, but I, I was very comfortable with it because I grew up with it and I've been very comfortable around death as a result of that,
1: yeah. you know, so it, it was, it was unusual. Well, I usually ask my guests what, who their early mentors were. And after having a sneak preview with your book, I'm sure you're going to say that uh, your father, what an incredible man he was and how lucky mm-hmm. to have him in your life. Um, how long did it take you to write this book and what prompted you to do it? That's a really
0: good question. I, I'm a realtor and so I'm really busy in real estate mm-hmm. and it took me 12 years to write the book and I'll, because I just didn't have a lot of time. Um, but what prompted me was when my brother died, my brother and I were like soulmates. We were so close. And when he died, suddenly I needed my book. I was searching for something to give me something, you know, I needed something when he died and I needed some reassurance. I needed some knowledge. I I needed some deep spiritual enlightenment when he died. Mm -hmm. So what I'd had all these experiences of people who had died and some of them had come back to me at that point with really important messages. And so I decided at that point to write the book. And I thought whatever comes out of this book will be my living memorial to my brother. So this book is my living memorial to my
1: brother. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, How old was your brother?
0: He was 60. Oh, OK, okay.: so. And
1: he was the life of the party. He was
0: never going to die. You know what I mean? He was one of those personalities. He just suddenly died of a heart attack unexpectedly, and um, he kind of took me with him in a way. you know, he just he just took part of me with him. And um, I am really happy with what came out in the book, because I know that there's a lot of people when someone dies, I think they need what I have to say. You know, and I
1: think they'll feel inspired by it, I hope, you know. Well, oh, I definitely agree with you. But right now, I need to mm-hmm. say something, and we're going to take a short okay. break. So if you are a whiner or you know someone who whines, do listen in to this commercial. This is for you.
2: Lately, there's a whining epidemic in our world. People are even whining about Whining. Are you sick and tired of listening to everyone whining all the time? So was January Jones, the author of Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th Commandment, that reached number one at Amazon.com. Ms. Jones based her book on a survey of the top 10 things that people whine about at all ages and all stages of life. January is a success coach that can tell you how to help others. When you buy Thou Shall Not Whine, the 11th Commandment, you'll find out what people whine about and how to stop them from whining. This is the perfect gift book to give or get for any occasion. Thou Shall Not Whine was voted the best gift to be given anonymously for those special people in your life. Ms. Jones is an internationally known author in the style of Irma Bombeck, specializing in housewife humor with her book being published in Korea and China. You can find Thou Shall Not Whine at Amazon.com.
1: Welcome back to the No Wine Zone with my guest, Margot Lenmark, who is definitely not a whiner because she is a winner. <laughs> and also for your insight. Oh, you. Thou shalt not wine is now available as an audiobook at Audible and Amazon.com just this week it came out. Now, uh, Margo, before we go on, could you please share with uh, our listeners your contact information and uh, how they can get your book?
0: Yes, they can get the book on Amazon or they can go to my website, lightinthemorning.com. And again, morning is
1: M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Very good. Okay. So, it took you twelve years to write this book, <laughs> and you did it in honor of your brother uh, What is the purpose, and who is this book going to help
0: january i can't I can't hear you
1: oh, okay. um can you hear me now? Uh, let me see. Can, uh, ch- could you check your sound?
0: I can't. I can't. I can't hear you.
1: Okay. Uh, you're, you're
0: kind of bleeping in and out. Um, I wonder if I should move somewhere
1: else. Okay, that that might be a plan. Please <laughs> uh, check your. Okay. Your, let me try that. Let me let me see if I can go somewhere else. Okay, because I can hear you fine.
0: I am moving.
1: Okay, <laughs> we're
0: with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm in the mountains, and so it may be. Oh, yeah. That can one. you? Yeah, it may be that we have a little bit of a spotty connection, and I hope my dogs don't join the interview. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're right here with me. That's all right. Okay.
1: Now can you hear me? Okay, good. Yeah. Now hear- I can, yes. Okay, wonderful. Okay. So uh, who is your audience? Is this book just for people who are grieving, or is it for people who are wondering about the eternal question, what happens when you die? Both. Both. I wrote it for people
0: who are grieving because, like I said, when my brother died, I needed this book. I needed needed something. And so I wrote it primarily for those people. But I'm telling you, I think that anybody would benefit. I've had a lot of people who aren't grieving that read my book, and they said, I really enjoyed this book. I got a lot out of it. I really have a different perspective on life and death. And um, I I think that, you know, we do have that eternal question, what happens when we die? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you for sure, that we don't die. And and you will believe it when you read the book, won't they? January, people will believe that they don't die.
1: Yeah. And I think especially what, what you shared about your father's death was quite an amazing uh, spiritual uh, transition for him and for you. And he shared it with so many people. You said that when he died at his funeral, people referred to him as a saint. And yeah. In my life, I've come across, a few people that when I met them, they were so spiritual, they glowed. And I identified them at the time as saints. And I think it's a very rare thing when this happens. And yet you said after he died and you saw his uh, body that he actually glowed as a saint, would, didn't he? Yes. Yeah. It
0: was the most amazing experience in my life to look at his face in death mm-hmm. because he, he there was an aura there was light around his face about 12 inches out you you could you could feel it you could see it it was it, other people saw it they yeah. went look at that light he just glowed with this light and what was interesting is I didn't see him until 5 days later because I couldn't get to him we had a big snowstorm and I couldn't get to where he was
2: mm-hmm. and
0: he had not even decayed at all. Really? And I, I even thought, you know, it, the person who bought the funeral home from my dad said, you shouldn't view your father because he wouldn't want you to see him this way. You know, he's already started the decaying process. He wouldn't want you to see him. He hadn't. Yeah. And I, I even thought, I wonder how long he would go before, you, you know, I mean, it was so interesting.
1: Yeah. It was a really
0: holy experience when I saw him.
1: Yeah and and you refer to in the in your book that you you can see in the face the living and the dying explain that a little bit for my listeners.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's what I could and I learned it from both my mother and my father but I saw my father's whole life I could see his whole life in his face. Mm-hmm. And I could see his actual passing in his face. That's what was so interesting. I saw his life in his face and his death in his face. Mm-hmm. and so I saw his whole life add up to that moment of his death. Uh-huh. and i real I had a big realization at that time that changed my life because I realized yeah, um, i I know the choices my father made throughout his life. he didn't have an easy life he had he had he had some challenges. Uh-huh. And I saw the choices he made with every one of those challenges. And I saw those choices that he made add up to that moment of death, that moment of his passing. And it was, I'm going to cry, it was glorious. It was like something, I've never seen a human face look like that in my life. It was really something.
1: Well, you, you wrote about it in such a beautiful way that I almost oh, felt you. that. I could share a little bit of what you were going through. Um, Both you and your father were into TM uh, meditation, transcendental meditation. Tell us about how you both discovered that together and how it impacted your life.
0: Yeah, um, growing up, my father and I both when I I remember when I was five years old I came home from church and I ran in the house and my dad was sitting in a lotus position and he had a carrot in one hand and a tomato in the other hand and the sun was shining down on his face and he was meditating and, and I stopped, you know. And it was just this silence, you know, and I said, Dad, what are you doing? And he goes I'm trying to reach Samadhi, you know, and I thought, oh, okay, what is that? You know? So yeah. from that time on, he was teaching me meditation. I'd read about something and I'd teach him, you know, we, we went back and forth our whole life teaching each other different meditations. So when I learned TM, I called him, I said, dad, this is the meditation we're looking for. This is it. He mm-hmm. goes, great. And I said, I'm going to go to Europe and become a teacher. And he said, great. I'll be your first student. And he was when
1: I came back. <laughs> Wonderful. What a great yeah. thing to share. Um, yeah, and it, you, you write about the fact that he told you actually six months before he died to the day, Gen, July 4th, he told you pretty much that he was going to die in uh, six months. In. Tell us that story. Okay. That's a really interesting
0: story. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad was full of different kinds of wisdom that we're not, we may may or may not know. Mm -hmm. Today, I want to say, I wish he'd come back so I could ask him a few things, you know, how did you know this? But anyway, he had told me before that time, he had told me that in our life, we're constantly... Breathing in what's called prana or life force. It's our life force. We're breathing it in And at one point in our life, we start breathing it out It's like a pendulum. It just starts going out and if we were to know that one moment it, when it, we started breathing it out We would know our moment of death because exactly six months after that moment is when we're going to die and that's a very interesting thing and he had told me that and and this one particular day on the 4th of July, it was the 4th of July that, that he told me that. He told me that Yogananda, I don't know if you've heard of Yogananda. He's a, he's a meditation teacher also that lived, I believe, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. very popular. He had a really nice meditation. And um, Yogananda went back. He, he gave a, a speech to his followers, and then he went back on the stage and sat down and went into samadhi. And on the 4th of July, my father told me that story and he said, I'm going to do that. He said, I'm just going to choose my moment of death and leave. And I went, wow, I got chills. And I thought he's actually going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that, but he's going to do that. I just, I had this, I went, Oh my God. Exactly. Six months later to the day he died. Wow. Isn't that interesting? It was like,
1: Wow, how did, wow. <laughs> really so, fascinating. So you actually, he had a prelude to his death and he knew the moment that instead of the taking air in, which we all do when we're living, we start releasing air as a prelude mm-hmm. to dying and it takes about six months to get ready for that. That, that's a fascinating uh, story that you share and it's so interesting because he told you on July 4th and then he died mm-hmm. on January 4th. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Right now, we're going to take a break and now would you like to hear a little bit about who killed Kennedy? Who do you think had the motive, the means, and the money to do it?
2: Let me ask you a question. Are you still wondering... Who killed Kennedy? Over 50 years later, the assassination is still a mystery. It is unfinished business for our country. Now, get ready for a theory that you've never heard before, but will make more sense than any other conspiracy theory that you've ever heard in the past. January Jones speaks the unspeakable in her book, Jackie, Ari, and Jack, The Tragic Love Triangle, connecting Jackie and Aristotle Onassis romantically prior to JFK's assassination. Did you know that Ari was Jackie's guest in the White House during the JFK funeral? He was the only non-family member who was invited by Jackie to stay there during the funeral. Aristotle Onassis was one of the wealthiest men in the world with the means, the motive, and the money to order an assassination that was the perfect crime of the last century. Are needed class and Jackie needed cash. They were perfect for each other. Now, what is Camelot? It is but another tragic love triangle. Jackie, Ari, and Jack is available at JanuaryJones.com, Amazon.com, and AudioBooks.com, read by Ms. Jones. Welcome back. We're with Marco Lennox sharing her
1: story success story, and her book, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter. Now, Margot, you talk about that you have gotten messages from dead people. How have these messages come to you, and how have they changed you? And tell us about that kind of experience. Very interesting experience,
0: as you can imagine. Um, most of the experiences have come to me in dreams, and it's what I call real dreams. I don't know if you've ever had this where, you know, when when you have a normal dream, you're, it's kind of illusory, and it's, you, you can't remember it, and it doesn't make sense, and mm-hmm. this is different. When somebody actually comes to visit you, they, their soul actually comes to you, you know it for sure, you know it's them, and it's, it's just exactly like you were talking to them, if the, like you and I are talking right now. I see you. You see me. It's exactly like that. So yeah. most of them came to me in dreams. Um, my brother came to me in dreams, but he also, in, in order to find him after he died, which is kind of an interesting story, I had a friend um, take me on a shamanic journey to find him. And that was really interesting. That was, that was like something I'd never experienced
1: in was, my life. Was he lost? I mean, how did you not know where he was?
0: Really good question. That's a very good question. <laughs> what happened with my brother was after he died, and remember, my brother and I were really, really close. We just were mm-hmm. just so close. After he died, he kept coming to me in dreams to tell me he wasn't dead. Oh. And dream after dream after dream, he was like he would come into the dream and I would be dreaming, just say you were in my dream. He would he would stand right next to you, really close, like, see, I'm right here. I'm here, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And he would do that in all these dreams. And I thought, this is really strange, you know. And one night I realized I told a friend about it, and they said, Margot, Mike doesn't know he's dead and I went, You're right. You're right. What do I do? He -hmm. says, you need to tell him. So that night, and this is after weeks of having him come to me every single night. That night, I told him, I sat on the end of, I mean, I sat in my bed before I went to sleep. And I told him, Mike, you're not here anymore. You've died. You're gone. We've burned your body. You're not on the earth anymore. And that's why you see me crying so hard. You know, this is what, this is what's going on. You're no longer here. You're here, but you're not in your body. You're what we call dead on the planet. And you know what happened after that January? That's Mm -hmm. the first night I never, he didn't come to me anymore. So then the, the next four nights he didn't come to me. And I'm like, Where is he? Mm -hmm. Right? I just thought, oh, my God. Mm -hmm. So I have a friend who does these um, kind of, she she can take you on this journey to find somebody. Mm -hmm. And she did. I asked her, I said, could you help me find Mike? I just need to know he's okay. So she took me on this journey. It's all spelled out in the book, so I won't go into great detail. But Mm -hmm. she took me on this journey to find my brother. And. At difference. one point, yeah, it was a meditation kind of thing, mm-hmm. very real. And at one point, I looked over, it, she had me visualize this meadow, and I looked across the meadow, and there was Mike.
1: Okay.
0: I can't even tell you. I don't know if you've read that story yet, but I would say that that's probably the most interesting story in the book mm-hmm. because of the, of the whole experience of it. And And I can tell you that, it's hard to explain what it's like to be with somebody on that level after they've died. They're gone, mm-hmm.
1: but you get to be with them again. It's really it's incredible. Experience. And, and I'm actually uh, happy to share with you that I've had that happen twice in my life. Uh, when my mother passed, she came to me and uh, we had had a very tumultuous relationship And she came to me in a dream, which, as you said, is like real. It's like Mm -hmm. you're talking to them. It's not a dream. It's a real visitation. And her message was a beautiful message because she told me that love is the only thing that matters. Ah, That's beautiful. And then I also had that experience. My first husband, uh, he was killed in a, a airplane helicopter crash very tragic death when he was very young and he actually came to me in a dream and we were able to take care of our unfinished business and we, oh. were, we were able to plan uh together my future and he was right there to assure me that he would help me through my future and uh, he kept his word because i've had a A wonderful life with a a wonderful second husband, 52 years of marriage, four kids, seven grandkids. And my first husband was behind the scenes directing the whole thing. So it's an experience that when it happens to you, there's no question in your mind that it's happened. It's not something you question. Uh, What other lessons have you received from dead people?
0: Well, I, I
1: quite a few.
0: I think the two most maybe significant lessons were from my mother and my father, which kind of makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. And the
0: interesting thing, January, about the messages that you get, um, my mother and I also had a very tumultuous relationship. Yeah. I don't know if you've read that chapter yet, but I think you'll relate to it because it, yeah. it was a cat and dog fight. You know, All of our <laughs> relationship. And so naturally the lesson that I learned from my mother, the message I got from her was how to resolve relationships and the importance of resolving relationships. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, I mean, you know what this is like, so you know what I'm talking about. When you get a message from somebody, Mm -hmm. it's truth. It's true. And when you, when that truth is heard by your soul, it changes you. So when I got that message from my mother about resolving relationships, it changed me. And the way it changed me was I realized the importance of resolving relationships. And so if I have anything unresolved with anybody... Mm-hmm. I will go to their house at 10 o'clock at night and they say, I think we have a misunderstanding. Let's talk about it. I, yeah. I will do whatever it takes to resolve that. And I have a clean slate. I feel like I have a clean slate. I don't think there's anything out there because ever since my mother died, I have been resolving every relationship. And it's so important to do that so that you don't have this, like you did with your first husband, you resolve that. Mm-hmm. It's so important because you, you you go through life in a very clean way and everything is fresh and it's just the way to live. And my mother really gave me that lesson. And then the other lesson from my father was that to keep my heart open in love at all times through all things. And that's what he did. Mm-hmm and all of his challenges he kept his heart open and love in in just a very noticeable way.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: ever since then and I'm in real estate so I deal with people in their money and you know big intense situations a lot. Mm-hmm. And people get very intense about money so I have all these really intense things to deal with. And because of my father I just force my heart open all the time and just love just love uh-huh. love them anyway no matter what's going on. Mm-hmm. And those are really Important lessons are really important things to know in life because you'll have a much better life if you live that way. You know.
1: And then the beauty of it is when uh, my mother's message came to me, it was so simple. It was so. Mm-hmm. Pure. It was so easy <laughs> to understand. I mean, basically, love is the only thing that matters. You know? Yeah. It doesn't Just ask any- the Beatles. <laughs> it doesn't get any easier than that. And the other thing that I think is a gift from that type of message is that it gives you that confidence or that feeling that uh, the soul, the spirit, the entity survives and goes on and continues continues to be a big part of your life. And uh, I think that is extremely comforting message to give people. Don't you agree?
0: Yes. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway of my book because you you realize through all these experiences, and I think you're seeing that with these experiences that they're very real. And I, I tried to write it in a way where people could live it vicariously through me. And if you do, you realize that they're still alive. They're right there with you. Yes. I thought all these people had died, but no, they are big light beacons in my life, and they guide me just just like your ex-husband guided you. These people are literally guiding me. Oh, yeah. And it's they, so they,
1: reassuring to know that. They don't abandon you. <laughs> they don't abandon you. No, they don't at all. <laughs> <laughs> now, <for many> <laughs> have you ever met someone who is unforgettable? Well, I would like to share with you some of my most memorable guests. This next spot is about the priceless personalities who have been guests on my show through the years. Have you ever met someone who was unforgettable? someone who has touched your heart and soul, people who have faced difficult problems, people who have struggled to find solutions, people who fearlessly shared their stories, people who have not only informed you but inspired you, people who have priceless personalities. I have been fortunate to host an internet radio talk show called January Jones Sharing Success Stories, and it has been my privilege to interview hundreds of guests. My guests have shared their stories, their struggles, their secrets, and their successes in their own words. In this book, we're talking about people dealing with problems such as incest, molestation, runaway kids, child abuse, drug abuse, polygamy, unemployment, scandal, and starting over. Then there are my guests dealing with difficult physical struggles such as blindness, cancer, and birth defects that are beyond traumatic. My guests have all been exciting, eclectic, and energizing. They have amazed, amused, and even astonished me. I have adored getting to meet them, and I adore sharing them with you. Welcome back with my guest, Marco Lenmark. And Marco, I shared earlier that I ordered your book because we have recently lost, six months ago, we lost our dear mm-hmm. dog for 12 years, Zoe. And I wanted to read your chapter about losing your dog. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes. You know, January, I think it's one of the hardest losses, right? Because when you lose that unconditional love truly mm. unconditional love that a dog has it's almost unbearable yeah. you know and so i i included that chapter in my book because i think it's so important for people to realize that our animals are also with us and so when casey died I talked to an animal communicator at the time and, you know, she shared something, she shared how Casey was doing on the other side and some of Casey's favorite things with us. And, Mm -hmm. and it was quite interesting because there's no way she would have known that. Of course it it was just secrets between Casey and I, you know? And so that, that chapter is a hard chapter for dog lovers to get through. It's a hard one because we all have had that and it's, Difficult, mm-hmm. but it it does show us that our animals communicate with us too, and yeah. it shows us that they have the same sort of soul that we do, and that's why I included that. It's not just humans that communicate; it's it's our animals too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and um it's it's a difficult loss because, as you said, their love is so unconditional. <laughs> my my mm-hmm. husband always jokes that uh, if he put me and Zoe and locked us in a closet for five hours. When he'd come back and unlock the door, I'd be angry as could be, and Zoe would be happy to see him. She'd be wagging her tail. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he tells that story because it is so true. We have yeah. we we since we lost Zoe, we have another puppy that uh, you know we lost Zoe, and we thought, oh, we'll never have another dog in our life, and of course another puppy came into our life. And I, I have a feeling Zoe had a, a hand in sending her our way because she sure has made our hearts heal and uh, she's brought us laughter and smiles again, which we lost. Yeah. We lost Zoe. Um, okay. How miracles happen? Let's talk about miracles. Oh boy. Miracles. Mm-hmm. Well, it's another
0: interesting chapter in my book because when, um, a friend of mine, Tom Shira died, um, we had a party for him. We were told by some very wise person that if you wait 10 days after the person has died, their soul, their body will be more processed and their soul will be with you more. they will be more present. Mm -hmm. So we had already done the memorial service and everything. And so we decided to have this party for him. So at this party, It was a dinner party. There were 12 people in in the dining room and there were five people at the kitchen table. And at the, all night long we were telling stories about Tom and I knew Tom very well. So I was telling quite a few stories about Tom. Mm -hmm. And at the very end, the host of the party came up and said, um, Oh, Deborah brought dessert. And she put this little pie that whole, it was apple crumbly pie. So you could only cut it into six pieces in 17 plates on the table. And (laughs) we're like, We all looked at each other. I'm not having pie. And she's, I'm not having pie. All of our owners said, we're not having pie. We knew the pie was going to the kitchen because they didn't see how small the pie was. We thought they'll get all the dessert. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was still telling stories and, and Deborah, my friend, Deborah and I were cutting the pie. And we cut it, put it on a plate, add a fork, and pass it down while we're telling this story. And then, you know, at the end of the story, we heard somebody in the kitchen yell, we all got pie. And we looked down, and everybody at our table had pie. And there was a piece of pie left in the pie plate that we could cut in half. And Deborah and I could each get a piece of pie. And we're like, We couldn't believe it. We we just Deborah and I both looked at each other and we just said loaves and fishes because That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah. Seventeen people got pie out of that pie. Yeah, yeah. and I'll tell you, January it was so funny because <laughs> somebody asked me then to tell another story and I started telling the story and I stopped and I just put my head down. And I started laughing. I said, wait a minute, do you guys just realize yeah. what just happened? Do you realize we all have pie, you know? <laughs> and that night I called Deborah and I said, Deborah, mm-hmm. where did that pie come from? Did we cut the whole pie and it all grew back? Did one did one piece leave the pan and it grew back? Where did the pie come from? It yeah. was really something. Yeah. And let me tell you, let me tell you that, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> while, while we were eating the pie, I could see Tom. I could kind of see Tom just like in a dream, but he was in the room Mm -hmm. and he was taking this white stuff that looked kind of like clouds, but it was heavier than clouds. And Mm -hmm. he was just throwing it up in the air and throwing it up in the air and throwing it up in the air and laughing. And he was telling me there's plenty, there's enough for everybody. There's plenty. Mm -hmm. And so that was really, really an interesting experience. And because of that experience, I've kind of never worried about running out of anything. You know, it was really interesting because I know that there's plenty. You know, that's the way that truth takes hold in you when you hear it. So miracles happen when you're not watching.
1: (laughs) I believe that, too. And I love what you write about your father, about living a life. And you don't know how your life's going to play out. It could go in so many different directions. But basically, the message is do your best try to be kind, love everyone, and be a positive force in this world. And his message is so beautiful, and you expressed mm-hmm. it beautifully. I always oh, ask, thank you. I always ask my guests before we end the show, if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead besides me, who would it be? And my answer would be your father, but who would your answer be? <laughs>
0: Oh, that is so wonderful! Oh, I just appreciate that so much. Um, boy, that's a really good question. I haven't—I've never even thought about that. Y- you know, you know, I would like to have dinner
1: with Jesus,
0: oh, okay. and I would like—I got—I got some questions for him.
1: <laughs> I really have
0: a lot of really serious questions for him. Like, what's the deal here? You know,
1: yeah. that'd be an interesting yeah. dinner to have. <laughs> you could ask him about the bread and loaves, compare pie stories with him that would be great, <laughs> yeah yeah, I'd
0: like to ask him what's true and what isn't You know what I mean because there's so much confusion around religion and spirituality and all of that, and it'd be it'd be fun to set the record straight, I think
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, what's the real deal here, yeah, uh, in just one short sentence, what is the biggest? Mm-hmm takeaway
0: uh readers will get from your book. Oh, I I think the biggest takeaway is that people do not die. We do not die. We live on. And there are d- gifts in death that people give us when they die. And so I I would say just tune in to the process of dying in death with yourself or with whoever's dying because there are big gifts
1: and they are not leaving you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, I think most people don't realize that it's probably the biggest adventure they'll ever have and it's waiting for all of us. (laughs) That's right, right? I know, (laughs) I know dread it so much and something maybe to look forward to. I know I look forward to being able to be with loved ones that I've lost through mm-hmm. the and I hope that that'll come true for me and for you and for all of our mm-hmm. listeners. In closing, I'd like to thank our amazing guest, Margot, for visiting with us. Remember her website and be sure to buy her book. My dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our time together today. We have tried to be informative, and we certainly have tried to inspire you today. My upcoming guests will all be eclectic, and exciting, and energizing, just like Margot. Next Tuesday, live at 2 p.m., I'll be looking forward to welcoming Jeannie Corcoran. She is the genie audiobook expert who will be sharing with us making my book, Thou Shalt Not Wind, the 11th Commandment, into an audiobook that is available as we speak. My thought for the day, as a 79-year-old senior who's growing older, I've learned that pleasing everyone is impossible but I'm annoying everyone is a piece of cake and I'm getting so good at annoying everyone, especially my kids. (laughs) So thank you for entering the no wine zone and share our stories with everyone, you know, and remember, stop whining, start smiling. And if that doesn't work, then you can just start eating chocolate, lots and lots of chocolate. Goodbye, Margo, and take care. Bye January.